Guru Nation, welcome to episode 447 of Random Musings from the Clinical Trails Guru. It's been way too long since we've done an episode. Uh, I just haven't had interviews lately, and um, I don't know what's been going on, but I have a bunch scheduled coming up, so sorry for the one-week delay. Normally, I post multiple times a week. For the last week, I didn't post anything. So this one this one should hold you over for a while. I have actually can't believe I've never done a video like this or a podcast episode like this. But it's basically everything that I know uh, about being a physician in clinical research without actually being a physician in clinical research. But basically, I'm trying to reach out to any physician out there interested in learning more about clinical research the pros, the cons, the business side, the regulatory side, the patient safety side, everything. So obviously, if you're a physician looking to get into research, you're at the right place listening to this episode. If you are a research site trying to, this is where it gets good, guys. If you're a research site trying to find more physicians and you're constantly getting asked the same questions, send them this episode and say, hey, this is this guy, this guy on the internet broke it down as best as he knows how and if you know how to break it down better feel free to do that yourself Um, or feel free to make like a presentation out of this it doesn't matter we need more physicians in research we need more community-based clinicians in research that is my thesis and i'm sticking to it so hopefully everybody finds some value out of this also check out links in the show notes we got the patreon channel it's only five bucks a month we have monthly masterminds as soon as we reach 50 people we're gonna have two two monthly masterminds come on guys patreon.com slash dancevera five bucks a month also in the show notes we get the cra and crc academies links in the show notes and if you want more studies for your site or you even need help starting a site, text me, 949-415-6256. With all that being said, enjoy this episode and share it with someone, please. Guru Nation, welcome to another episode of Random Musings from the Clinical Trials Guru. This episode is going to be for all of you watching who are physicians or clinicians, but primarily physicians. Anybody watching that's a physician interested in clinical research and private industry-sponsored clinical research, not the kind of research that you have to apply for grants. Uh, I know uh, just a little bit about that. I know a whole lot about what we call industry-sponsored trials, which are studies uh, that are sponsored by drug companies like Pfizer, like AstraZeneca, like Moderna, like all of anyone you can think of. Just go on clinicaltrials.gov and type in... um, whatever kind of therapeutic condition you're interested in and then where on the filter results uh check the box industry sponsored and you're going to see what i'm talking about so if you're a physician interested in you know understanding a little bit more about research maybe what are some of the myths what are the misconceptions what are some of the benefits of being a principal investigator in a clinical research study this is the podcast episode for you also if you are a site owner and you need a video to send to prospective physicians this would be the one Uh, i don't think there are very many if any out there but this one's gonna be unbiased i mean i'm gonna give you the good the bad and what's most likely to occur based on different scenarios so with that being said 
let's get into first of all what is a principal investigator and what it what are some of the bad things about being a principal investigator so a principal investigator is responsible for the conduct of a clinical trial at his or her site at his or her research site principal investigators can be uh contractors they can be employees um, they can work for small clinics they can work for their own clinic they can work for large academic centers they can work for hospitals they can work for all of them at the same time matter of fact depending on the contracts that they're signing with some of those larger institutions it may prevent them from doing private research uh, with smaller clinics or on their own but wherever research is being conducted a principal investigator is there and the principal investigator like i said is responsible for the conduct of the trial at their particular site they are that means they are responsible for all the staff that are going to be working on their study who work underneath them so the delegation of authorities log which is something i discussed in my book the comprehensive guide to clinical research the delegation of authorities log basically outlines who at that research clinic is involved in the study and who's doing what what authorities have they been delegated by the pi pi means principal investigator by the way uh furthermore the pi has to train the staff so he he or she has to make sure that the site that the site staff is properly trained on the most recent uh version of the protocol so basically that sounds like a lot and that's kind of the negative of being a pi is all their responsibility of doing that study is on you it's not on the site owner it's not on the study coordinator it's not on i mean to some extent it is on the drug company and on the cra that comes to audit your site they're supposed to catch things before regulators catch them small things big things everything in between but at the end of the day the fda food and drug administration holds the principal investigator responsible for the conduct of the study at their site only at their site so that's i guess you can call it one of the negatives it's probably the biggest negative is the liability you have all the liability of maintaining patient safety of ensuring that your staff knows what they're doing and of following the protocol so as long as you take care of those three things, there's nothing for you to worry about. When it comes to regulatory paperwork, okay, that's another myth. You're going to be overwhelmed with regulatory paperwork. That's myth number one. I guess we're not going to order these things, but I listed one of the, the biggest cons, the biggest negative aspect of being a principal investigator is the fact that you are personally responsible for everything that occurs on a study that you are the principal investigator on you can't defer the blame to anyone else it's you the fda holds you accountable now the sponsor does everything they can to make sure that you're properly trained that you have the right staff with the right qualifications business owners like myself who own and operate clinical research sites and are constantly looking for new physicians to work with we make sure that this is taken care of. We make sure that the study coordinators that we bring in are trained. We make sure that, for example, me, in my case, I'm actually the site director. So I make sure that the study coordinator 
and the PI and the sub-eyes, which are the sub-investigators, which are basically the colleagues of the PI or other clinicians who are involved in the study, I make sure, as the business owner, that everybody's following the protocol and that the study is going to be successful at our site. By success, I don't mean that we're going to prove that the drug works or not, because that's not what research sites do. Research sites just collect the data from a study. So, uh, my job as a site owner is to make your life easier as a principal investigator. Now, regulatory. This is one of the things I talked about. One of the myths is that there's so much paperwork that you're going to be swamped in regulatory uh, filings and all these kind of things. Because when you think of research, you think, okay, well, there's a lot of regulatory submissions, and I don't know how to do that, and I don't have the staff to do that. And the thing is... If you partner with a good research site, like mine, I mean, I've been doing this since 2005, but there's hundreds of people out there who own a research site, maybe even thousands in the United States who own research clinics. They have a streamlined process for getting the regulatory documents taken care of at the site level. Uh, the biggest regulatory documents, I, I guess they're all important, but the biggest one would be regulatory startup. So for each study that you take on, you're going to have startup regulatory paperwork. You're going to have to submit to the IRB, which by the way, most sites get to use a central IRB, so you don't have really anything to do with uh meeting with the IRB and getting them to approve the study. The sponsors have already gotten the study approved by an IRB by the time they reach out to sites. Again, this is industry-sponsored trials. This is very different than investigator-initiated studies or academic studies. So that takes a big load off of your shoulders when it comes to regulatory because you do not, as the principal investigator, have to get the IRB to approve the protocol. The IRB in industry-sponsored studies have already approved the protocol. What you need to do as a principal investigator is to make sure that your site specifically, just particularly your clinic, uh, that the IRB approves your clinic for doing this study. And that's a really simple process when it comes to most studies. Uh, most sites are able to use central IRBs. So what that means is that there's like a cookie cutter template form that you fill out, or really it's your study coordinator that fills out, but that you sign. And uh, it explains who's at the, who works at the site, how long you guys have been doing research collectively, you as well as your staff, how many patients do you have uh, in your database? How do you make sure that there, that informed consent is being followed? Who's done the good clinical practice trainings? What other trainings have you done? What are your credentials? This is about a 10-page form that the central IRB has you send. And it, you can actually go to look at any central IRB. Uh, one of the big ones is Western Copernicus Group, WCG. Just Google WCG IRB and then go on their website. See if you could find the forms and look for the site qualification uh, form or the initial site submission form and you'll see what I'm talking about. Easy, you can have your coordinator do it or like a site director like myself takes care of that. The next thing is the 1572 form which is your contract with the FDA. So on the 1572 form it basically lists who's the sponsor, where is your site located, who are your sub-investigators, who's the IRB, and then on the back, it has you sign uh, stating that you are going to be held personally responsible for 
all activity at your particular site. In my opinion, this would be the scariest part of doing a research if I were a principal investigator, if I were a physician doing it for the first time, because you think FDA and you think, okay, well, I don't want to screw up and have any problems with the FDA. Well, the thing is you need a good staff. You need qualified staff members. And so you really need, uh, if you want to turn key solution in doing research, you need to partner with the right people. You need to partner with people who know what they're doing, their experience. Like in my case, I've been doing this since 2005. We know how to do, they're all the same. All these studies are the same. Each study, each protocol obviously looks and tests different things, but the process of running the study is the same, right? So you have, this is all part of the startup regulatory submissions. Then you have the easier stuff, financial disclosure form. So this is a form that you and all your other sub-investigators will have to sign for every single study stating that uh, if anybody owns a significant financial interest in the particular sponsor of the study, you have to disclose it. So that's relatively simple. And those are really the biggest regulatory documents that uh, you have to worry about. I mean, the rest are logs. The rest are things like the delegation of authorities log that I brought up. Uh, they could be screening and enrollment logs, which are things that you maintain as you start enrolling patients in the study. So regulatory is simple. That's why I think it's the biggest myth in research that there's a lot of regulatory paperwork and you're going to be drowning in regulatory. It's just not true. You're going to have a, your coordinator fill out these forms. They're going to get the forms. They're going to get the templates from the drug company. So it's very simple to even fill these things out. And then you, as the PI, make sure that everything's correct and you sign, sign and send it back to the sponsor. They'll tell you if something's missing before your site can get activated for the study. All right. Another myth is that once the study is up and running that your patients are going to be guinea pigs and that's really a huge misconception across the industry and that really stems from a lack of awareness of what clinical research is it's true that clinical research is not treatment even though sometimes there are most of the times there are treatment arms but many of the times there are placebo arms as well so you can't count research technically as being treatment However, the misconception is that uh, all the patients that are going to get on, on placebo are going to do really bad health-wise, and then that uh, they're going to sue you. That's like, that's like another big myth and misconception, or you're going to run into problems with the patients. And again, I've been doing this since 2005 full-time. This has never happened, not once. Okay, one of the benefits of being a principal investigator, ideally, if the patients are your patients, you know their history. You know which patients would potentially benefit from being in the study, and you're supposed to select the ones that you think will potentially benefit from the study, and that the benefits outweigh the potential risks, which the risks could be number one, getting on placebo, or the risk can also be potential side effects that they may get from the investigational product. So you really being a clinician here, you're just dealing with experimental treatments. And sometimes the, the other treatment arms that they compare the investigational product to are medications that you are already prescribing your patients. So that's another myth is that all patients get placebo or we don't know what we're giving them. It's true 
The patients are usually blinded, and the staff, the research staff, is usually blinded. But this is why, in my opinion, it makes so much sense for the patients treating physicians to be the principal investigator because they know the patient's history. They know the labs. They know the patient's symptoms. So they're going to know the physician, whether they're blinded or not, they're going to have a much better idea of what their patient is going through um, because they are their treating physician. So in a study, in my opinion, the treating physicians make the best principal investigators because of the PI oversight that they're going to have. The FDA, the big scary FDA that everyone's worried about, the only thing they care about is that you maintain PI oversight when it comes to the safety of your patients. And in my opinion, there's no better uh, person to do that and to be the PI than the treating physician themselves for the actual patients. So uh, it gets a little bit more complicated when you are not the patient's treating physician. Okay, let's say they've been referred to you by a colleague. So then really the PI oversight becomes you have to discuss the patient's history with the referring physician. You've got to look at their medical history, request the records, and try to understand as best you can the patient's history to make your best judgment, your best clinical judgment when it comes to Number one, enrolling the patient in the study. And number two, keeping them in the study or taking them out of the study based on whatever is going on with them at that time. So PI oversight, super important. FDA cares about this. If you're documenting this stuff in progress notes and your coordinators are doing the same thing, documenting everything in progress notes, uh, you're not going to have anything to worry about. Okay. Uh, finally, you're going to be looking at labs. What I've noticed in doing clinical research all these years is we have really good research provides at no cost to the patient. Matter of fact, most research studies pay the patients to be in the studies. They provide extremely thorough, comprehensive labs, lab uh, results, uh, uh, lab tests, and ECGs, and all kinds of other assessments. You'll see on the protocol, just look at the schedule of assessments, and you'll see much more thorough and comprehensive than those patients would get in a private care setting. And if you combine the two, if you continue to see the patient as in your private care setting, which you should, but also they're in research, they're getting extremely comprehensive uh, medical oversight. Matter of fact, the research is so thorough, we've actually had numerous patients in my career as a clinical research site director, we've actually discovered problems uh, of these patients that their physicians never even discovered. And we were able to catch it early because these tests, these lab results, the ECGs are so, so thorough, we were able to pro proactively catch things before they actually occurred on patients that were not even patients of my PIs. They were from different practices that were referred to us. So uh, the, the tests are really thorough in clinical research. Uh, the incentives are for the drug companies or the study sponsor to really uh, make sure that they're catching everything because they don't want um, unnecessary adverse events in the study for obvious reasons. So their incentive is we need to be thorough and really do a good job screening these patients and really tracking these patients while they're in the study and documenting exactly what every adverse event is, what every 
out of range lab result might be, it's extremely thorough in clinical research, um, which is one of the things that I've learned over the years that uh, I think is super underrated in this industry. Uh, another thing is the financial aspects of doing clinical research. So if you are a physician that's already running a private practice, you have the perfect opportunities to do uh, to create a second stream of income for your business. So let me explain this. So if you're a physician, you're going through your day-to-day routine of seeing patients in your private practice and billing insurance, usually billing insurance, you have the opportunity to while not disrupting your existing business, create a supplemental business, which is all cash-based. And guess who's the payer? The payer are the study sponsors. They got deep pockets, right? In my, since 2005, I've been doing this full-time. I've never dealt with a sponsor that has not paid us for work that we've done. I have heard, they are in the minority, but I have heard horror stories of biotechs going out of business and not being able to fulfill their obligations to pay the the investigators for the work that they did, but that is rare. That is not the norm. The norm is you get paid really good money for managing the studies on behalf of the pharmaceutical sponsors. So there are several options here. You can own the research side of the business yourself. You can partner with somebody like me, um, although I'm not doing any partnerships right now outside of Southern California or Southern Arizona. Um, So I'm not doing any partnerships anywhere else except in those locations. Western Arizona and Southern California, that's it. Okay, southwestern Arizona and then southern California. But there are people like me all over LinkedIn. There are, and, and you can find these people too um, that you can partner with. So you can either partner as an equity partner or you can partner as a contractor, independent contractor of that clinic. So they're going to take on some of the financial liability, a lot of all the business liability and financial liability. But remember, even if you do that, that does not absolve you from the liability and responsibility you have as a physician to maintain PI oversight of your study. Okay, that's the promise that you made with the FDA when you signed the 1572 form. So research can be very lucrative. I've met I've never met a physician who is not blown away by the size of some of these contracts in research, especially when it's their first study. When they see the actual contract of doing research, I mean, it's like the equivalent one research patient is probably equivalent to like 10 patients in the private practice, even just for one visit. Okay, and then most studies have. 10 visits or more visits for each patient in that study. So it gets to be very lucrative very quickly. Another positive of doing this is once you start building a reputation for yourself, it's going to become a lot easier for you to get more studies because the drug companies, the sponsors, they tend to share data. There's something called the Transcelerate Initiative, which started, I guess, in the early 2000s, like 2010, 
2012, where these drug companies kind of shared data on investigators. Hey, we just did this asthma study. These were the list of investigators that did really good for us. Uh, so they share. Word gets around. Industry is a huge industry in the sense of the money's involved and even the players. There's a lot of players, but it's also small industry in the sense that yeah, there's not that many research clinics out there outside of academia. They're there. Like I said, there's probably in the in the thousands, maybe tens of thousands in the United States, but I think it's in the thousands uh, of active research sites that do more than one study at, at any given time. Uh, so very lucrative. Okay. Another benefit is prestige. So you get to obviously you get to be part of medical advancements and that's really good branding obviously for your private practice you can start advertising it on your website hey in addition to private practice traditional care we also offer alternative treatment options some of them are research our physicians are involved in research because we're interested in learning about the new breakthrough treatments and experimental therapies that may be coming to the market soon and we have a hand in 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 that we have we play a small part in our community and we would love to offer this opportunity to all of our patients um, at no obligation to them another thing is prestige among colleagues so when conferences come and um, there are there are what's called key opinion leaders KOLs every drug company every biotech if they're doing sales, they have a list of key opinion leaders. So if you are doing research and you have a private practice, chances are they're going to try to get you. And by they, I mean all the drug companies that come visit you for on the sales side. They're going to try to get you to be a key opinion leader. And then you can go on, uh, you can start speaking on behalf of the drug company. There's other opportunities there. As far as speaking, there are even opportunities as far as doing investigator-initiated trials in research. So, uh, like I said, this entire podcast episode, I've explained industry-sponsored trials. Now, you can also do investigator-initiated trials. So, if you are working with a drug company and you're on really good relationships with them maybe you know the medical liaison well you know people from the drug company well you can actually create your own protocol get them to fund it get an IRB to approve it at that stage it becomes a little harder on your end because there's no cookie cutter templates you're creating everything from scratch so that's investigator initiated trials and then you can have the publication rights to those studies so that's the other difference between investigator initiated and industry sponsored trials is in the industry sponsored trials you get no publication rights all the data is owned by the drug company but by the sponsor and the investigator initiated based on how you work out your arrangement with the with the study sponsor you may be able to get some publication rights so that's another really good aspect of clinical research so hopefully this podcast episode was able to kind of break down some of the myths and misconceptions about being a principal investigator i tried to be as honest and transparent i've literally shared just about everything i know when it comes to being a principal investigator um, um, and uh, I guess 
we've went through the safety of the patients, the PI oversight, the regulatory, the financial aspects, the ancillary benefits you get. Um, I guess I want to wrap it up with if you are interested in being a principal investigator, you can start your own clinic. You just need to kind of understand um, a little more of the fundamentals of research. And you really should not attempt to do this without having a clinical research coordinator. We have a clinical research coordinator academy. It's online. It's only $3,000. It's a three-month program. We even have an internship program remotely for them at no additional cost. It's $3,000. Put your coordinator through that course. Uh, Put yourself through that course. Message me. Links in the show notes. Link underneath this video uh, if you're interested in that. And like I said, if you are in the Southern California area or Arizona and you would like to partner with me, let's discuss. We can do either an equity partnership or we can do an independent contractor partnership, which is honestly the way we like to start because getting in business with someone, whether it's me getting in business with a physician or a physician getting in business with me or somebody like me, it's a lot more of a commitment than just being an independent contractor. So I recommend even if you were to reach out to me that we start off as an independent contractor. You are going to be an independent contractor of my research company. Uh, Typically, you'll get anywhere from 10 to 50% of the overall study budget, and you will get paid from off the top. So whatever the sponsor sends us, uh, they pay based on enrollment in the study. So whenever patients are enrolled and they start going through their visits, there is a budget and that budget gets triggered each time a patient comes to a new visit. So within 30 to 90 days of that visit, the research clinic should be getting, the research company should be getting paid. And from that payment, we typically cut a check right off the top, so not net, but gross, 10 to 50% to the PI, depending on our arrangement. Are we using your office? Are we using our own office? Are we using your staff? Are we using our own staff? A lot of those things come into play as well, but we can discuss. But if you're paying attention or, or you are interested in doing this, not just with me, but with anyone else, at least you're more informed now of kind of the going rate of an independent contractor. And then if you're an employee, basically W-2, well, you just name your hourly rate and that's simple, right? So independent contractor, you have the opportunity, you, you kind of have the best of both worlds. You're like a business person, but you don't have the liability of being, you don't have the fiduciary responsibility to be in business with someone that you do when you're a business partner, but you're not tied down like an employee. So you're getting a lot of the upside. You're getting a share of the upside by being an independent contractor. Finally, there are tax advantages to doing this. We're actually going to interview a tax specialist on this topic for physicians. But basically, if you're already running a private practice, you know that what you're earning are annualized um, income, right? Actual gains, actualized gains. You need expenses to offset this. So the good thing about being either in business with someone who's doing research, starting your own research company, or being an independent contractor is there are a lot of deductions that come with that. And in the first year or two of any endeavor, there are more losses 
than there are profits. Although if you partner with the right people, it may not be much more than nine to 12 months before you start getting really profitable. And I guess I'll end it on that. Research tends to snowball. So it might be very difficult to get your first study and start getting your first payments, but it becomes so much easier after that. It really turns into a snowball effect and I think more physicians, I think first of all the industry needs more physicians. There's a huge problem in the industry with diversity or the lack thereof. We need all of us, myself included, this is why I'm doing this podcast. We need more physicians from the communities who are actually treating patients to do clinical research. It's going to help everybody in the long run because we need more data to get these drugs and therapeutics approved quicker. And I mean, COVID is a prime example, right? We have a tremendous disadvantage when it comes to, and, and so many disparities when it comes to minorities. And we need to resolve that problem. And I think the best way is to get community clinicians who are treating those patients involved in clinical research and interested in clinical research. And it's our job as researchers to get you guys, you clinicians, interested in research. So hopefully this helped you out. If you are a research site, send this to your prospective clinicians. If I said too much, feel free to edit it out and just put what you want to hear on there. But I think they can get the whole thing. It's transparent. It's um, everything that I know about research from the context of a physician who has never done research before. So good luck, everybody. Let me know what you think. Reach out with any questions and talk to you later. Bye-bye. So hey, everybody. Thank you very much for listening to another episode of Random Musings from the Clinical Trials Guru. Again, if you haven't already, make sure you subscribe to this podcast. Make sure you leave a review if you could be so kind, please. Uh, and also go to the clinicaltrialsguru.com if you're interested in learning more about who I am, who some of my guests are. Uh, you can have access to some of my YouTube videos. Uh, I do a lot of videos about clinical research. So go to the clinicaltrialsguru.com and you can also call or text me anytime, 949-415-6256. Also follow me on any social media platform. It's Dan Svera. And you can also email me if you'd like, dan at theclinicaltrialsguru.com. Thank you very much.